All right, all right, all right. Hey, good morning, y'all. Everybody doing all right this morning? My name is Glenn. I get the joy of serving as one of the pastors here. And uh, I want to welcome you, especially if you're, if you're new to our church. We, uh, we, we preach through books of the Bible. We, we're in Genesis, which is the first book in your Bible. And if you brought your Bible, I want to invite you this morning to open it to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis 39. And we took a week off from preaching this series, and now we're back. And so uh, I want to hopefully serve you by setting a little bit of context for where we are this morning. Um, Genesis, if you don't know, it means the book of origins. So the first 11 chapters of Genesis have to do with God's creation of the world and the fall of, of man and, and the corruption of sin in our world and, and the promise uh, of a Savior that would come. And then in, in Genesis chapter 12, all the way to the end of the book, 12 through 50, is God's dealings with Abraham, his son Isaac, his son Jacob, who's renamed to Israel, and, and we now find ourselves learning about Joseph. Joseph's a popular character in the Bible. Uh, I imagine many of us are familiar with him. Chapters 37 to the end of the book really take a lot of time to let us into Joseph's story. And, you know, here, here's kind of his story in brief. He was uh, the youngest, uh, not the youngest, he was the most favored of his, his brothers, uh, he had 11 brothers, one sister. His father, Jacob, uh, gave him a coat of many colors, if that rings any bells. He had a dream and then told all of his brothers that he was going to end up ruling them one day. And if you're a sibling, you can imagine how that would go. Uh, I had a dream. You're going to bow down to me one day. God told me. Um, and so... I want to invite us into like the humanity of this story. Joseph's brothers hated him. Uh, they actually hated him so much that their anger rose to, to a plot to murder him. And um, he finds, Joseph finds his brother in an area one day and they throw him into this, this inescapable pit. And their idea is we're going to leave him here. He can't get out. He's just going to die. And then they think to themselves, why not make some money off of it and get some kind of profit out of it? There's some uh, slavers that are coming. Let's sell our brother into slavery. And so they do. They convince their father, Jacob, that Joseph had died out in the wilderness. And that's where we pick up our story. And so in Genesis 39, I want you to pick it up with me in verse 1. I just want to set a little bit more context here. Here's the setting. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian. Let me just pause right there. The fact that the scriptures give him two different titles, this is a very, very prominent man in Pharaoh's Egypt. This is a man who was likely uh, part of Pharaoh's personal security force, um, had a lot that he was overseeing, uh, very powerful. And so of all places, Joseph ends up in his house. He had bought Joseph from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down to, to Egypt. Verse 2 says everything. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master, Potiphar. 
Uh, Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Joseph and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So, verse 4, Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And Potiphar made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. This is no small thing. From the time that he made Joseph overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. In six verses, Joseph goes from privileged son to slave of the lowest status and now back up to the the most privileged servant in uh, Pharaoh's Egypt in one fell swoop. Just a crazy roller coaster here. And what I want to draw our attention to in these first six verses is just amazement at God's provision. So here is what we see uh, as a glimpse of Joseph's fortune as he's walking with God. God was with him. God gave him success. God gave him favor with people. God's blessing was on him. God entrusted many things to him. You can't help but read this and just think, so many things provided here by God's gracious hand. None of which Joseph had earned. None of which Joseph necessarily deserved. And as I was preparing this message, uh, it made me just want to ask, do we see this same hand of provision in our lives even today? Like this isn't just meant to be some ancient story that's for that time and God was different then. Do you right now see that God is with you? In your modern life right now, do you see that he has given you successes? I mean, honestly, ask the question, has God given you favor with other people? Has he blessed us? Church, has he blessed us? Has he entrusted things to us? You want to know what the answer is to all those questions for every person in this room? Yes. Yes. God has been so good to us. And to introduce us to this morning's theme, um, I want to propose something. I'm going to do this again where I sit down. And I want to propose that if I were to sit across the table from any one of you, here's what you would not say to me. Glenn, my goal, my 10-year plan in life is to shipwreck everything that God has entrusted to me. I want to ruin my life. I want to betray the trust of the people I most love. I want to hurt and wound my spouse. I want to embarrass and shame my children. Um, I want to squander all that God has blessed me with. This is my goal. This is my plan. Um, I wouldn't imagine that anybody in this room would say, that's, that's where I'm at right now, Glenn. That's actually what I want. Uh, and yet, it introduces us to what this chapter is going to introduce us to. Uh, it's what's at stake this morning. We're going to talk about the topic that you didn't come here wanting to talk about. Uh, 
and it's the topic of temptation. Um, I've titled this morning's sermon, You Can Escape. You Can Escape. And this chapter is going to introduce us to that topic, and it's also going to introduce us to a longing for integrity. Listen, many of you are coming in here today, and you're tired of walking life defeated. Uh, Temptation is not just a, a sexual thing. You're tired of walking life defeated because you keep losing this battle over and over again where you're bowing down at the altar. You're saying, I want to take everything I value and treasure in my life and I want to exchange it at the, at the altar of fear, lust, power, greed, control, pride. And it is robbing you of abundant life that Jesus purchased for you. I just want you to know this sermon's for you. If you're there at all this morning, you can identify a place in that at all. You know that right now in your life, temptations are happening every day that that draw you into old attitudes of your heart, that draw you into places in your mind, um, to, to, to desires that you feel like have been dormant, and now you're starting to think about those things again. It's as varied as the people in this room. This sermon is for you, and here's my prayer. It's, it's that God is going to once again invite us into a life of integrity because it leads us to protecting all that he's entrusted to us. It's worth it. It's satisfying. I want to pray before we get started here. Would you join me? Father, right now we pause and we ask that your word would do what it sets out to do. The question would not be, how did Glenn do? But it would be, God, you've given me your eyes to see. Would you please give me your heart to feel? Would you give me your mind to know? And what will I do with it today? God, we ask for your protection and your blessing on our lives, and we ask for faith that has been lost. Would you restore it today? We ask for belief that's been lost Would you restore it today? God, we pray and ask that you would bring integrity to bear in every one of our lives. You would give us the joy. Please, God, would you be so kind to give us the joy of walking with a clean and clear conscience? Oh, the levity that that brings, (laughs) the freedom that that brings. Um, God, your desire is not for us to be saved and then to walk with self-inflicted wounds and pain all the way to heaven. Right now, today, we declare freedom in Jesus' name, and we believe you can give it. Amen. Amen. So pick it back up with me in verse 6. Something is going to happen here. Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. If you're trying to picture that in your mind's eye, I'll just say this. There's a reason that we have Justin shoot the videos and come up here and give the live announcements. Just think Justin Larson. Um, let's, so let's first, give, let's first give a definition, a working definition of what temptation is, okay? And it's, and it's broad, but I tried to narrow this as much as possible. Here's temptation. It's an enticement to willfully sin against God. That's temptation. In any of its applications, it's an enticement 
to willfully sin against God. Every day, this choice, this testing, if you will, is presented to all of us in multiple moments. And just as a primer on this topic, I want to move us at a quick pace. Let me quickly walk us through five truths about temptation. Number one, everyone is tempted. Everyone. You want to know how I know this sermon is going to apply to everyone in this room and you have reason to listen? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptation in your life is no different from what others experience. It's common to all man, is what another translation says. You're not special. Like, if you're walking with temptation right now, welcome to the club. Welcome to being a human being. This is the life we live in a fallen, broken world. And it's common to all people. I'm going to get to the hope we have later. But number two, temptation is external. Satan is called the tempter. And and Satan and demons have a mission to destroy and ruin God's divine plans. Um, Listen, Satan and demons are active in our life. There's a spiritual realm that if we're not aware of it, we need to be. Where uh, I can demonstrate it to you like this. If you hear voices and, and there's whispers that are happening in your mind that, that tell you uh, it would be easier if. Or it's okay if you give in to this attitude or this, this desire, or this whatever. God will give you grace. Isn't that what Christianity is anyways? You'll be forgiven. It's not that big of a deal. It's, it's, you know what? This isn't gonna cost you that much. Um, Non-Christians get to enjoy this seemingly without any ramifications. Why, why shouldn't you? If you entertain these thoughts in your mind, like this is proof that uh, there's, there's an enemy and he wants to steal and kill and destroy and you have probably, just like me, been having some of these repeated conversations over and over again in your mind for years, a long time. It's that easy for the evil one. Number three, it's internal. It's internal. Um, Satan and demons are never to blame for our sin. None of it can be shifted to or blamed on the demonic. Uh, In other words, a a Christian can't say the devil made me do it. We are responsible for the sin that we choose to practice. James chapter 1, 14 and 15 says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions. And then when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. It comes from what the Bible calls our flesh, our sinful nature. It's that part of us, even as a Christian, that is still in the process of being redeemed and restored and and giving full occupation to the Spirit of God within us. So everyone's tempted. It's external. It's internal. I want to comfort you with this one, number four. Being tempted isn't sin. Some of y'all need to hear that this morning. Being tempted isn't sin. Um, Hebrews 4.15 talks about Jesus himself when he was walking on this earth. This high priest of ours, he understands our weaknesses for he has faced all of the same testings or temptations that we do, yet he did not sin. So this one verse gives us a, a category that separates the two things. Temptation is one thing, sin is another. Some of you, you already feel defeated simply because you feel tempted. Just because fear is entertaining your thoughts, just because lust is entertaining your thoughts, just because that next addictive choice or that next behavior, just because those things are are right in front of you and you feel the pull 
of that string, you're already, you feel like you've lost the battle. And so what do you do with that? Well, I've already lost. Might as well just give into it. Might as well just follow that lead. The battle is not already lost just because you feel a desire for something. Please, brother, sister, take heart. Take heart. It's not lost. They're not the same thing. And here's great news number five. The big idea of this morning's sermon, you can escape. You can't escape. I want you to listen. If you take nothing else from today, if you take nothing else, if you forget everything else I said, here's my prayer. It's that you would remember one verse in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. We already read the first part. No temptation that you experience isn't common to man. Listen to this amazing promise from God. Would you believe this? This is my ask. Would we believe this this morning? God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more then you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Can I just read that again? Can I please read that again? God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, it's going to happen. He will show you a way out so that you can endure every time. Every time. We have to claim this as children of God. You have to act, though. You have to take initiative, though. The text says that he'll give you a way out, he'll give you a way of escape, but you gotta escape. I have to get out. He's shown me the way, but I have to go. And so what I wanna use is some of the principles from this chapter. What we see happen in Joseph's heart in the way he processes things out loud in his actions. I want to just let us learn a lesson from this about how we can escape, how we can walk in freedom, how we don't have to live a life that's constantly so exhausted from the same temptations lurking in and the same defeated attitude of saying yes, 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 and then feeling the guilt and the shame that comes as a cycle the next day, in the moment, whatever. And then we wake up the next day and it's the same thing over and over again. Do you want to live that life until your grave? Every day, over and over and over again. No, none of us does. So let's take God at his word here. Number one, these, these are just some steps, some, some helpful instructions. Stay alert to triggers. Do I even need to expound on this? Stay alert to them. Uh, let me give some examples. Some of you, your job keeps giving you the opportunity to cheat a system or to do something that's fraudulent and nobody really cares that much. For some of you, your conversations with your spouse around a certain subject, they, they start to make your blood boil and you know that anger is coming because something in your pride or your sense of control is, is being tempted. Like you're walking in that right now. It happened this morning on the way to church. Some of you, um, maybe your friends are starting to serve up shots again at the bar, starting to invite you over to hang out, whatever it looks like, and, and you already know it's not going to be a wise place for me to be. Some of us, we're bored and we're surfing Amazon and Target again and we're just embracing our feeling of discontentment and what we're lacking in our life and a little retail therapy is going to help us. And it actually kills our bank account and causes conflict in a million other places in our life. But there we are again. We know those apps, those places on the internet are a dangerous place to be. And our greed kicks in. And we don't want to admit it, but it's a temptation that we face. 
On a serious note, maybe some of you, there are emotional boundaries or flirtation that's happening with him or her again. You know that that messaging, that texting, those phone calls, those interactions at the workplace, you just know. Why do you know? When I list all of these things, why do I not have to go to great lengths to convince us that these are things that are enticing us to sin willfully against God? Here's my appeal to you. If you're a Christian in the room and you've bowed your knee to Jesus and you've given your life to him, you have been filled with the Holy Spirit. God himself resides in you and you now have a conscience that is different than it once was. Something fundamentally has changed in your heart. Your desires, your want to, are different. And so it leads me to number two. Stay alert to triggers, stay in step with the Spirit. Here is the the good news for someone who places their faith in Jesus. It's that you are now a new creation. You're not just somebody who's gone from being, you know, kind of irreligious or not really going to church to now you're doing those things. Great. You were a person who was dead in your sin. You were a person whose heart wasn't beating spiritually. You had no relationship with God and God has resurrected you. Hallelujah. He's given you a love for him. He's given you an ongoing interactive relationship with him. And he has begun to fundamentally change you from within. And your life is the product of internal change that's expressing itself now outwardly. And you're thinking in your life right now, there's an old you and there's a new you. And I, I think temptation is that we think that we are primarily a sinner who can sometimes be a saint when we really work hard at it. What God's word tells us is that we are a saint. We are a child of his. We are covered and clothed in Jesus' righteousness. This is our identity now. We are clean and pure. And deep down in us, our want to, maybe the best word to say is our appetites, they're not what they once were. I want you to dig deep right now and I want you to think about the process of conviction. You feel it all the time in one way or another. There's something you say, there's a a place you're about to go and you just feel something in your stomach I wasn't right. There's a distaste. That conviction is just God's way of telling you that your deepest desires in life have changed. You really do actually want God. You really do actually desire. You long for closeness. You want integrity and character and a clean conscience You want to do the righteous thing. You want to do the loving thing. And until you can feed that new appetite, there's no way forward. We have to learn to proactively feed the new desires that are in us in Christ. Am I making sense? We can't wait, okay, and then get ready when something's going to go crazy. We have to stay ready so that we don't have to get ready. We've got to have spiritual habits in our life. And listen, I feel like every sermon we preach is repeating the same thing. 
We have to have spiritual habits in our life that put us in front of God, that open our ears to heaven, that reconvince our mind and rechange our mind, renew our mind every day. God, what you want from me is so much better, so much more satisfying, so much more pleasure and life and joy and peace in that and not the way that the world, the flesh, and the devil are pulling me to. I was talking to a friend the other day. Think about dribbling a basketball. If you're somebody who does anything in here, maybe you play an instrument, you dribble a basketball, uh, you play a sport, you do something that is just like second nature to you now. I play basketball. I don't think about, okay, take the ball, push it down, let gravity take it, then it comes back up, catch it with this hand, set my feet, dribble it through here. Okay, I don't think about where I need to have my hands when I shoot the ball. I think about... None of that stuff, because it's all second nature. You got to that place because of practice. Research tells us these are how habits are formed. You form a habit, and the habit forms you. Why would we not apply this to the most important thing in our life, which is our relationship to the living God? Church, I want to invite us into Psalm 119.11. Listen to this promise. This statement, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The crux of the issue today when it comes to temptation is we find ourselves often not ready because there's a lack of proactive habits that are keeping us in a place where our heart is soft toward heaven and we're saying, God, change my appetites. We need a renewed mind. And listen, once God has our attention day to day, once he has our attention moment to moment, once he has our affection and we're familiar with his presence, Then we can continue reading in Genesis chapter 39. Is this guy going to read the scripture this morning? I want to start in verse 8. This is right after Potiphar's wife has come to Joseph and said, lie with me. He refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. And listen to this question, church. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin, not against Potiphar, against God? What Joseph is doing in this moment is he is taking inventory of all the blessings that he has all the ways that God has provided for him, all the ways that he's been good to him, and he's realizing they can be squandered and his life ruined with one sinful choice. What he did was number three. He counted the cost. Author and teacher Alan Parr offers these seven questions to consider when you're fighting temptation And I'm asking us, church, to be fully present here. Um, I want to linger after each of these and let you actually think on them. When a choice is presented to you, ask this, how am I going to feel about this tomorrow? How will this affect other people? How 
how will this affect my relationship with God? How will I feel about sharing this decision with someone else down the road? How will this affect my reputation? My witness? My calling? How will this affect my future life dreams and goals? This last one gets me. How will this affect those who look up to me? I couldn't help but think with that last question for you parents in the room, you teachers in the room, you coaches in the room. What we model to the youngest generation among us and how much it blesses them to see older people walking with Jesus who aren't constantly giving in to temptation and have their guard up and their armor on. I want to continue in verse 10. As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men were there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out the house. Number four, run. Run. In verse 10, he wouldn't listen to her. He wouldn't be with her. Verse 12, she had to catch him. Once she made a move, he fled and got out of the house. Joseph took measures. So I just want to ask the question, what do we need to do in our life right now to just stop the bleeding? Do we need to break off the relationship, change the job, remove the internet from our grasp? Don't go to certain places. Don't hang with certain people. Don't indulge certain things. Listen to the wisdom of Proverbs 27, 12. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Maybe you're still lingering and, and we just need to flee. Number five, take authority in Jesus' name. I want us to do something together this morning. Um, I thought about, you know, offering you ways to pray, and I thought, you know what? If I were sitting out in one of these nice, cushy seats, um, I would be thinking, yeah, show me how to pray, and later, when I'm alone or have the time, I'll practice it myself. How many of people know that's just not true? I wouldn't do that. I'm just confessing. So I want to invite us into moments of prayer right now this morning. I want to invite you to do something you probably didn't expect to do, and that's just to, to bow your head, close your eyes, and if you would, just open your hands. Just open your hands and make yourself available. Uh, I want to pray right now, God, we are here. We're here, and you're here. Your presence is with us. Each one of us in this room, Holy Spirit, needs your help. Friends, if you would just pray with me, just in, in, your, in your mind. Holy Spirit, please help me. Show me the way out of this. Get me out of this cycle. 
Give me the strength to run away from this. This is my request. God, I confess my longing for this. I renounce my longing for this in the name of Jesus. I throw off my old self and I put on Christ and his holy and pure righteousness. I renounce this. I renounce this. Um, let me pause right now. You can look up at me. I want to tell you a quick story just in this, this vein of renouncing. Uh, I will never forget years ago, um, my family was at another family's house in Missouri, and they had a, uh, an acreage, and there was a pond where they would often just take guests out to go fishing. And so me and my older brother Aaron and my sister Diana were out there, and we're casting the line and, and fishing. And out of nowhere, I just hear this yelp across the pond from my younger sister. And she's backing away from the pond and very scared. And so, you know, we rush over there and there is a massive, I kid you not, I'm not like embellishing this, like a huge snapping turtle that just was coming right up out of the water and hissing at her, you know. And, and so my family, my dad was there, my mom was there. We all, here's what we assumed. We'll let him be there. Let's all go to the other side of the pond, give him his space, you know, and we'll just fish over here. Church, before we could make our way to the other side of the pond, the owner of the pond, our host, Tim, came out with a nine millimeter. <laughs> right in the head. Bah, 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 bah. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> And I will never forget that moment and, and what God taught me through that. Um, <laughs> here is what Galatians 5.24 says. Galatians 5.24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Many of us in our life are very used to giving space for our sin to breathe. We're used to saying, put it up on the cross, kill it, crucify it, and then climb up on the cross every day, take it down from the cross to the ground and nurse it back to health. Give it space to breathe and thrive again. Give it some roots to sink down in our life and have a chance to operate again rather than just killing it. We have to see sin and temptation this way. Who we are in Christ is people who see the threat approaching and kill it. We nail it to the cross. That's what crucifixion is. Crucifixion doesn't leave survivors. And none of us would think, yeah, let's take our sin that we've nailed to the cross. Let's take all the temptations we're giving into. Let's take them back down from there and let's soothe them and nurse them back to health where they can live and operate and thrive in our life again and steal from us and rob from us and kill us from within. Some of you right now, I say this and you're thinking, amen, because you've had this happen in your life. Our job is to confess whatever it is and renounce it 
in the name of Jesus. He gives us an authority to rebuke it. We can go to pray again. Let's pray. Let's keep praying. God, we rebuke the enemy and all his demonic influence over us in the name of Jesus. And we humble ourselves before you and we submit our thoughts and desires back to you, our Lord and our God. And right now, we replace the tempting lies with truth. John 8, 32, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. God, please show us the truth pertaining to our temptation. Show us what we should desire instead of this sin. Show us how much better, how much sweeter, how much more satisfying you are. God, get us to a place of awe. Get us to a place of love and affection for you. Get us to a place of wonder, amazement, a place of purpose, a place of clarity. Set us free to worship and enjoy you no less, no less than that, God, we ask. This is what you purchased for us, Jesus. Please protect us from living beneath our privileges in Christ. Amen. Church, I just want to encourage you, you can escape. And for the people who are in this room, you've failed. As we all have. Pain has entered into your life because you have given in. You have felt the guilt. You have felt the shame. I want us to read the last portion of Genesis 39. And I want to give you really good news this morning. Um, We're going to pick it up in verse 13. As soon as Potiphar's wife saw that Joseph had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see he has, Potiphar, has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until Potiphar came home and she told him the same story saying, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me, but as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. You know, while there's a lot for us to learn from um, Joseph's character in this section of scripture, I wanna close with this. We are actually not able to identify more with Joseph in this text. Um, We actually all identify more with Potiphar's wife. And here's why. It's because we are the ones for whose sin, a sinless one, suffered. Do you understand that? We are the ones who were guilty and someone without guilt had to pay the price for our sin. We have all fallen short of the standard of God. And I have really good news. Um, Jesus Christ can lift shame 
Jesus Christ can return lost years. He can heal wounds. Jesus Christ can cancel the plans of the enemy. Jesus can rebuild what's been broken in your life. Jesus can restore what's been stolen from you in your life. Jesus' blood can cover you. No matter how many times you've failed, his grace is sufficient for you. His power made perfect in your weakness. Uh, Jesus, in him, there is forgiveness and cleansing for you at the cross. So if you're coming in here this morning and a sermon on temptation, all it makes you think about is all the ways that you've failed, you're in the right place. You're in the right posture because you are set to receive amazing grace from a God who loves you, a God who so loves you that he sent his son to, to live a life that you and I couldn't live, to die a death on a cross that we deserve as punishment for our sin and then to rise again from the grave to completely change our nature from within and to give us eternal life. Would you be comforted this morning that not only can you be forgiven for past sin, but you can actually be freed from future sin. You can walk in new life today. If you've not bowed your knee to Jesus, I invite you to do that today. You don't have to continue the cycle. And if you're already a born-again Christian in the house this morning, this is just as true for you. God is inviting you back to a place where your satisfaction is found in him. He's inviting you back to a place where your witness to the watching world is found in your joy in him and your peace in him. And he's inviting you back to a very quiet place of stillness before him where his spirit has the ability to empower you, to give you strength that you lack, to give you abilities that you don't possess, to carry you in your weakness and write a different story in your life. God, we ask right now that this would be true of everyone in this room. We are praying, Holy Spirit, in closing, please identify the areas in our life, even subtle, where we have so quickly given in and lead us into still waters, lead us to green pastures, show us that we lack nothing in you. We have all that we want in you, Jesus. You're our good shepherd and your intent for our life is to destroy the work of the evil one. It's to change and destroy the work of our own flesh. And so we ask this, trusting you and believing in you. Change us from within, God. Change our mind today. God, please change our mind today. In Jesus' name, amen.